This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Religious Refugees, Deconstructing Towards Spiritual and Emotional Healing. Have you been questioning your faith and spiritual beliefs while leaving the familiarity of your religious homeland? Have you been negatively affected by toxic religion, knowing in your heart of hearts there must be a more liberating spiritual way? Have you experienced loneliness, isolation, and fear of rejection from religious others just because you are a more inclusive, creative, and expansive person? Join the legion of others on the road to healing and self-discovery and let Dr. Mark Karras' book, Religious Refugees, be your guide. Western Christianity has spent the last 2,000 years telling everyone they're separated from God. This is not church. With John and Nat Turney. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. My name is Nat. Uh, that's Nat to the T and to the. Uh, <laughs> oh man, I was I was I have this guy at work that calls me Nate Dog, and I'm like, you know what? It's been a long time since anyone called me Nate Dog, and so I've been trying to. I was gonna like spit a few bars there for a second, but then I realized and remembered uh, that I'm a white guy who can't rhyme or have rhythm. So anyway, I won't do that. <laughs> but, um, my name is Nat. I'm with my brother John. Uh, say hi, John. Hi, John. Yeah, I literally just woke up from a nap, so it's just, it might take me a second to get warmed up. <laughs> I had the weirdest day, John. Oh. I was folding laundry before we started. That's what I was doing. Oh, well, that's very domestic of you. And that's, still, that's, uh, uh, almost 3.30 in the afternoon, I'm still drinking coffee. Good. I decided a while back that I'm just not going to do that anymore. And by, not, not the drink coffee part, the fold laundry part. Oh, yeah. Because why? Yeah. So I just Got sort of like throw it on a pile on my bed and just root around for stuff that smells clean <laughs> and go, eh, that'll work. <laughs> So uh, we're, we're, we're telling on ourselves. Anyway, this is the, uh, this is the podcast, guys. Uh, uh, we call it This Is Not Church, because if it was church, you'd have left by now. And uh, John and I would have, uh, we'd have left with you. We'd have been, you know. And this is a place where we, you know, before I introduce our guests, I just want to say, reiterate, I guess, uh, if you've been with us for a while, John and I have been doing this for a couple of years now, you know that our intentions all along have been to um, discuss and converse with a variety of people from all walks of life, from all kinds of backgrounds and um, not just authors and writers, but activists and artists and dissidents of all kinds. And, um, and, and one thing that John and I had really been intentional about recently is like we need to get outside of this evangelical Christian bubble that we sometimes live in, even though we're still sometimes just throwing rocks at it. Uh, we, <laughs> it, <laughs> it would be helpful to get the perspective of people um, who, who don't necessarily live inside that bubble. Uh, we sort of inadvertently stepped into it with um, one of our recent guests who ha- happened to be a member of the LDS church, and we weren't aware of it until we started talking to her. I'm like, oh, that's, that's interesting. Kind of renewed, I would say. Wouldn't you say, John, kind of renewed that, like, hey, we had talked about doing this more. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I reached out to uh, somebody I've been following on Facebook for a while, Dr. Safi Koskas, who, uh, who was joining us today to talk about whatever happens to come up. Um, but he comes from the, the Muslim world. And so, the, and I, I, if, if I had to hazard a guest, a guest, how about that? I, I told you I was still, I was still waking up from a nap. <laughs> if I hazard a guest, I would say, um, most Americans still remain fairly ignorant about Islam. We have this idea in our mind of what it is. Uh, most of it, a lot of it, at least formed by, uh, what we see in the media, what we see proclaimed by, you know, other evangelical Christians, many of whom are not super kind uh, and and have a, a narrative and, a, you know, something that they're trying to push forward. And we need to dispel some of that by talking to actual people. 
uh, I think that's the best way, right? We've decided that the best way to get through some of the garbage is to, I don't know, have actually have relationships and conversations. So let me introduce you to Dr. Safi Kaskis, and then we're going to just jump into all of this stuff and see what happens. So uh, Dr. Safi Kaskis is a scholar and entrepreneur an advocate for peace and reconciliation. He has over 40 years of experience in strategic planning, leadership, and business ethics, having founded Strategic Edge Management Consultants. He has co-founded East-West University in Chicago and served as president of the board of directors for East-West University for over two decades. In addition to his business pursuits, Dr. Koskis is passionate about the Abrahamic religions and has lectured throughout the U.S. and the Middle East on topics related to Islam, interfaith, and reconciliation between evangelicals, Jews, and American Muslims. He's a senior research in Islam and multi-faith reconciliation with George Mason University's Center for World Religions, Diplomacy, and Conflict Resolution, where he continues to learn and share his knowledge. He is also the founder and president of the International Quran Research Association, an organization dedicated to the study and promotion of a contemporary understanding of the Quran. Dr. Koskis is always known is also known for his easy to understand English Quran translation published in uh, January 2015 and the Quran with references to the Bible in January 2016. He's currently working on the Quran with references to the Tanakh. So that is a lot and I'm sure we just barely scratched the surface so with that, welcome to the podcast, Dr. Koskis. How are you, sir? Thank you. Pretty good. Good Pretty to good. see you. Good to see you. And I know we established beforehand that uh, sir is your father. Uh, you're a softie. <laughs> I got that. Uh, it's probably still going to slip out. Um, That's sorry, okay. It's the, it's the, it's the, it's the, uh, the upbringing coming out from time to time. And uh, also the fact that I live in Texas and we call everybody sir. I don't know, whether ironically or whatever. But let's shock your, your audience by saying yes. John was holding... What were you folding, John, before you came here? Folding laundry. Laundry. <laughs> yeah. And you were taking a nap. Yes. I was working on an article about Jesus in the Quran. Many people <laughs> don't know that Jesus is an integral part of the Quran. The Quran to us, Muslims, we believe that it is the exact word of God revealed to humanity as last message. That message started with Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and continued with all the prophets of the Bible and culminated after Jesus with Muhammad. Jesus, though, and Moses have, you know, occupy a large part uh, of the Quran. They're, they're mentioned a lot. The, the message that was given to them is uh, talked about extensively. The conflicts that they created and the way people reacted to them is also discussed in detail in the Quran. All this in a way that God is trying to teach us about them, how uh, wonderful they were and how they were received, uh, the, the, the way people treated them, and treated their message. I just wanted to start with this so maybe we can pick up from there and start talking and uh, about uh, G Moses and Jesus or Abraham, if you want, and give people as much information as possible about how that relates to the Quran and to Islam in general. I, I think that's a, a perfect way to start because I, just from my own personal, from my perspective, I became aware of you through a mutual friend, Brad Jersak. And he's a, a guy that I, I, he may not consider himself this, but to me, he's one of my mentors. He's been a big supporter of mine and the show and he's been on anyway. So he's, he's a, so when I see him step out and begin these conversations with people, uh, it, it gets my attention. 
and I, and I, I know you has you guys have participated in some interfaith dialogue and discussions before. Um, how did you first uh, come across uh, Dr. Brad Jersak in your in your life? Actually, on Facebook, I'm very active on Facebook. The, I consider Facebook like my ministry. Yes, it's like my church, although it's not a church. So uh, <laughs> I, uh, I I used to I, I use Facebook as a platform to explain what Islam is, what Muslims are all about. Uh, and by the way, an important fact for people to know: all Muslims are not alike, and uh, the teaching about Islam, I mean, it's all based on a book called the Quran. But when you read a book, you're either reading to understand or you're reading to criticize or you're reading to find something to hit your enemy with and everybody will find what they're looking for. It ha- just happened that I uh, my, my thoughts when I'm reading the Quran grew up and along the way I met uh, Brad, I met him on Facebook. Then we uh, we we spoke. Uh, he invited me to give a course per semester to his students at the Institute of uh, Religion and Peace, Religion and uh, you know the, their institute. And we our relationship strengthened from that time on. I believe personally that uh, Islam and Muslims are two Arabic words. Their root, the essence, the root of the two words is three letter, S-L-M, Silm. And Silm in Arabic means peace. That make uh, Islam an act of submission in love to God, who created us in love. And a Muslim become a peacemaker because what he's doing is spreading love to his creator and to the people around him. From that sense, I see a lot of communality between my understanding of Islam and the Quran and with what Brad believes in, because he believes in peace as the essence of Christianity, of the teachings of Jesus, and in Jesus as the Prince of Peace, you know. So we are all talking about um, two messages, but the essence of these two messages is the same. To know God, to love God, and to spread peace through loving everybody else around us. This is the basic relationship between Brad and I. It's based on love. Well, another thing that you said that really strikes me, and I I, I bet if I was to pull a bunch of Christians, I, I think they would probably disagree. And that is that you you say that you, um, you're talking about the Abrahamic religions, right? Christianity is based in an Abrahamic religion. Now, a lot of Christians that I know that consistently are on the conservative side or the fundamentalist side would say, well, no, no we're not Abrahamic because that's the old covenant. We are now Jesus followers. And new they, and covenant. They, right, new covenant. They, they ignore all of what came to pass that brought them to the place of Jesus. So Christianity is based in an Abrahamic religion, regardless if they want to believe it or not. And so that, I find that, that commonality to be better and and to understand that commonality works in our favor, as opposed to trying to separate Christianity from Islam and say Judaism and say, no, we're different. We we are, we aren't the same because we are the same. 
Well, in essence, we are the same. In practice, everybody can can reach God in the way he is most comfortable with. See, for people to come to me and say, no, well, everything you're saying is false. We're not alike at all. You know, you don't believe in Jesus as your personal savior. So you're out. Simple. Yeah. That wouldn't hurt me at all. (laughs) I would say, (laughs) I still love you, you know, regardless what you think, because you are the, the best presentation of God that uh, he was able to think of, you know, and I have to love him uh, because I love him. I have to love you and I respect you because he honored you and he honored me by bringing me together with you. I'm not, look, I don't want to sound like I'm uh, uh, this fluffy stuff and all this. No, I know what I'm talking about. I, I, I had to grow up to it. I wasn't born like this. It took a lot of struggle for me to learn to love those who disagree with me. It took me a while to tame my ego because with an ego, you can't see but uh, what's different from how you're different, how you're better, how you, you know, more eloquent, more this, more that, more knowledgeable. Well, all that doesn't matter to me. My favorite title is a servant. If I can sit with people and serve them, I'm at my best. And I'll be extremely grateful to God that he allowed me a chance to sit with people and serve them. Because that that's serving others is like serving God for me. That's the only way I can explain it. To serve my my creator is when I serve his creatures. That, by the way, include earth include the birds, the trees, everything he created, you know, uh, serving all of that is part of who I am and, and my faith and my religion. That sounds awfully reminiscent of what we were taught growing up as Christians, doesn't it, John? I mean, don't, yeah. I mean yeah. aren't we taught that how we love God or how, how we demonstrate our love for God is how, we dem- is how we love the people around us? I mean, how can you say that you love God but hate your brother? I mean, that sounds awfully, awfully familiar. And yet in practice, what I see all too often is the opposite, right? Most, a lot of, I should, I don't want to generalize. I'll try to, I would try to tame my tendency to generalize. Uh, I know that about me. But what I see a lot of times is I demonstrate my love for God by how well I keep the rules, by how well I distance myself from people who aren't like me because I have to somehow keep myself pure. I wouldn't want to, you know, sully myself by, there's, there's a lot of segregation that goes on especially within evangelical Christianity. As a kid out growing up, that was a, a big message for us was, was how we weren't to necessarily have um, interactions with people who aren't like us. I'm like, that's just a very strange thing. So to hear that from you is refreshing. And also uh, it just resonates. It rings true because it should, and it should for every Christian who has read the Bible and understands that how we best love God is, is by demonstrating our love for the people around us. So I love that, man. That might have sound familiar to you because it comes from Jesus. I'm saying it because I learned it from Jesus. And a Muslim can learn from Jesus. I have a list of things that I worked on and wrote down that are common between what Jesus taught and what the Quran teaches, 
that the only difference between the two is Jesus didn't have scribes walking around with him. <laughs> so when he was right. talking, they weren't writing. Right. Muhammad had 13 scribes with him most of the time. And every everything he said and said it is revelation was recorded. More, more than that, Muslims believe because the, because God told us in the Quran about the miraculous birth of Jesus. We believe in the miraculous birth of Jesus. We believe that Mary was a virgin and raised and was prepared to be able to be pregnant with Jesus. And Jesus was born because of the breath of God into Mary. All this is in the Quran. I can give you references and, uh, uh, you know, you can read it for yourself. Uh, it'll be best if you read my own translation, but any other translation will give you that, what I'm just saying. I just use simpler English that is uh, understood by almost everybody. So we believe in the virgin birth. We believe that Jesus was born, and the fr- from the minute he was born, God says in the Quran that he was supported with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the Quran is defined as the Archangel Gabriel. The Archangel Gabriel in the Bible is the one entrusted, in charge of carrying God's messages and giving them to various prophets. So in the, in, in the Quran, God told us that he supported Jesus from birth with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was born speaking, knowing the book, the, 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 the Torah, and uh, the entire revelations and the Gospels. In fact, Muslims believe that every word Jesus uttered in his life was Gospels because the Holy Spirit was with him all the time. So if we, have, if we had a, a, a record of every word that Jesus uttered, the gospel will be much larger and it will be all wisdom because Jesus didn't say anything that's nonsense during his life. So, you know, that's... that's I mean, that's biblical too because I, I, mean, I believe it's in John, right? Where John says that if they were to write down everything that Jesus had done, there would be... There wouldn't be room enough to contain it all. There wouldn't be room enough to contain yes. it all. So... Yes. I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's biblical yes. too. So I, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's like Nat and I growing up, uh, you know, we lived in a very small town in Northern California. Um, didn't get a lot of, uh, connection with people outside of our faith because like Nat said, uh, the, the churches that we went to were very strongly opposed to us reaching out outside the church. Our, Nat and I both came to this realization later in our life that, when we kind of stepped away from this evangelical fundamentalist church, we also lost almost all of our friends because they, they weren't willing to go on that, that journey with us because you were lost. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We were, we were, yes, we were yes. lost. <laughs> yes. I don't want to be found by the way. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah. So, but, but sadly with that, our, our education into other religions was very uh, minimal and it would have been anything, anything we learned, we learned on our own. We took the time to do it on our, our own. So. When I left the church, I did go out and search through other religions. And 
through my own ignorance, the one religion I did not look into was Islam. Because all I saw on TV were fundamentalists. And I was like, so they look just like the Christians I just left. Worst. The worst <laughs> kind of fanatics. So I was like, why would I, why would I even look into that? I, I just left a fundamentalist church. I'm not going to step into another fundamental. It was for, it was years, years later that I found out that just like Christianity, there are different groups within, within the faith and they don't all, they, they share a, maybe a commonality, but then there, there are, there are massive differences within the faith. And, um, I wish, I wish I had, Realize that sooner, so I could have like better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> so I, already, sure? I yeah, I already wrote the the your translation of the Quran down. I'm, I'll, I'll be buying it probably today or tomorrow. So that's definitely something I'm going to do. Uh, there are two. One is a, one is simply a Quran translation. It's called the Quran: A Contemporary Understanding. We can talk about this in few seconds, and I'll tell you why I call it a contemporary understanding. And the second book, I, I, I realized that all this is post 9-11, by the way. The translation was my response to 9-11. I knew young Americans are very curious right here. And they are very intelligent if you give them a chance to learn. So I thought my best response to 9-11 is to translate the Quran to simple English, high school English, where everybody can read it and understand it. And I committed to myself, unless it's logical, I will not translate it. So I spent six years trying to understand the Quran in Arabic, word for word. And some words took three years for me to understand. Three years. And some others took less, you know. But by the time I finished the translation, I had a realization that came to me like, uh, you know, an inspiration. Your job is not over unless you do the, a study of the Quran with the references to the Bible. Show people what is common between the two. I mean, I read them and I know what's common, but now I need to show everybody else that they, that the messages come from the same messenger who, from the same sender or those messengers that who brought the message came from the same sender. So I got together with a fantastic man, uh, the, one of my dearest friends, Dr. David Hungerford, who's di- died a few years ago, and we worked on bringing every verse from the Bible that has a similar meaning to a verse from the Quran and put them together in the same book. And by the way, I had a vision of Jesus who said, make sure to include every word I said in Matthew. So every quote for, for Jesus in Matthew is, you'd find in my book also, in comparison to verses from the Quran. That's the story of these two books, you know, and why... Before, before we say anything else, I just, I love that response, by the way, to something tragic and horrific was to find a way to bring understanding. I love that response because so many of the other responses were were fear-based or knee-jerk reactions or overreactions in some cases. Um, understandable on some level because we all lived through it and we remember how, how horrifying it was. But there was a moment there where I think we were open to some understanding and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm afraid that that moment passed us. 
at least at that time, in favor of vengeance and retribution and saber rattling. So we can talk about that, you know, later if you want, because there is a lesson to to be learned from 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 that reaction. Absolutely. No, of course. Uh, but I've seen many, many, many of your Facebook posts where you have gone and you've, you've actually been able to put your translation of the Quran and uh, your one with uh, comparative notes in the Bible. I've seen you give this to many, many people. It's available online for free. Anybody can down, download it. If yeah, they but want you've put this into the hands of world leaders, haven't you? I, I think I've seen. Absolutely. Didn't, didn't you give one to Bishop Tutu? Yes, starting with the Pope and uh, anybody. Look, every congressman, every senator I've met during the National Prayer Breakfast had a copy. The champion of all this is my wife, not me. She is my publicist in a sense. She, anywhere we go until today, she has a bag, she puts few copies in it, and she takes it to anybody important that we meet, anybody who shows some spirituality or yearning to learn, willingness to listen, she'll make the copies available to them. I think that's great. I just, I love the idea of you having a meeting with the Pope and and making sure he gets a copy of this book. And I'm sure he was generous and magnanimous when he when he received it. And I just, I don't know, I just, those those are some of the, as I think about things I've seen that you post on Facebook, those are the ones that sort of struck me a little bit. I'm like, that's, that's interesting. That's bold. And you've put this into the hands of Muslim leaders as well, right? Uh, not really. Not really? No, is that... Is that no. I can lose my head if I do that. <laughs> Okay, so that's uh, that brings up a question I was going to ask. So, when you talk to fundamentalist Christians, uh, evangelical, you know, and you tell them, say, "Oh yeah, the Bible I read is the Message by Eugene Peterson, right? That 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 translation of the Bible," and you get a lot of anger because in their world, there's only one Bible, and that's the King James. If yes. you translate out of the King James at all, you're a heretic at best. And the, the name calling gets worse than that. I, I would venture to guess that you do get a little pushback for translating into specifically English and then uh, contemporary English. Yes, they're all kind of Muslim. There are some Muslims who believe that the Quran is only Arabic. If it's not Arabic, it shouldn't be called Quran. And that I understand and I respect because as a translator who spent six years trying to understand the words of God, to translate them, I can tell you the origin of the book is not a human. And uh, and I can prove it in in few seconds. I mean, it doesn't take too long for me to prove it. Uh, it was talking about things we're discovering today at 1,400 years ago. But those uh, uh, in the United States, we have something very unique. We have a constitution and, a, and rights in the, that are protected. A Bill of Rights. This is very unique. You don't find uh, in many places uh, in the world, especially in Muslim in Muslim countries who were colonized by the British and the French. The constitution that you'll find there and the borders that were drawn were drawn so they can produce problems in the future. So Great Britain can come back and impose peace. That's the plan, but it didn't work because uh, Great Britain is no longer that great, and uh, the Muslim world it's still in uh, in uh, suffering from a clinical coma, uh, not not using their brains at all, not thinking, 
not uh, doing what is best so they can catch up with the 21st century without any exception. Saudi Arabia now, by the way, is trying to break out of that mold. I don't know how successful they'll be, but they're trying at least. So I, uh, I, I have the book, the Quran, with the references to the Bible in Arabic. I was encouraged by uh, an Egyptian uh, uh, Quranic scholar to do this, and he even wrote the introduction, but I decided not to publish it there because I didn't want to create problems in Egypt for the Christian and the Muslims. See, the two groups can easily be manipulated by bad-intentioned people, and I didn't want to be part of that game. So I decided to stick into the English mainly, plus later on I did Spanish, I did uh, uh, Italian. The copy the Pope got was in Italian, by the way, and uh, several other uh, translations, but in, in places that will be seeking these translations, and I know it will be helpful for them to read them. But uh, I, I didn't want to cause problems because uh, it's not, it wasn't worth it as far as I'm concerned to try to, to, to give them my book and then get somebody get, uh, get killed in the, in the process trying to think they are doing the right thing, you know, either Christian or Muslim. They're, 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 the blood of either one of them is as dear to me as the other. They both uh, created by God. Now nah, that makes a lot of sense. So let's let's talk about that that thing we said we might talk about in a minute. So the response post nine eleven that many Americans had was one of obviously there was a great deal of grief, and then sometimes our response to grief is to lash out and and. I know that happens not just in, in a situation like 9-11, but it happens in all kinds of situations where our, our, sometimes our response to overwhelming grief is anger and let's figure out, I might make myself feel better if I can inflict that same kind of pain on somebody else. But you said there was a, maybe a, well, not maybe, but there certainly was, there were missed opportunities there. Uh, wh- and what, lessons what for all of and us. And lessons, yes. For all of us. Actually, let me start from the beginning. I came to the United States in 1969 from Lebanon. I was uh, reading the writing on the wall in Lebanon and I knew a civil war is about to take place. So I, and I had an opportunity to come to the United States. So I took that opportunity and came, came here and made the States my home. Somewhere in, in, in Beirut, in Lebanon, the capital, we had something called the Kennedy uh, Cultural Centers where you can go and read American newspaper, American cartoons, and, and all of that. And I used to go there often. And somewhere in, in one of these cartoons, I read that the United States is a country of neighbors. And I liked that idea very much. I thought that will be a place for me to, to live and grow in. Later on, after I came back, after I came here, I realized there is something more important than one, what an individual feel when he feels neighborly. There is a constitution that protect our rights as citizens. And then I started reading about the founding father. And the more I read, the more I, I like what I was reading. I'm not saying they were perfect people, but I'm saying some of their ideas were, were fantastic. 
and they are still working until today. By the way, uh, well, we'll get to that later because I don't want to confuse whoever is listening to this. Let me stick to 9-11 in this context. From 69 to the time 9-11 took place, 2001, I was still talking about Islam to my neighbors. I used to be considered a novelty wherever I am. They used to take me to church to talk to them about this new uh, religion in their mind called Islam. And they asked me all kind of questions and they invite me to Sunday, uh, uh, Sunday classes and all this or to speak to the church, whatever. So I spoke in many churches in all these years. And I thought I'm building goodwill, you know, good feelings between my neighbors and I. Uh, by the way, when I first came in, I had $69 in my pocket, spoke no English, spoke Arabic and French. And I was living in Birmingham, Alabama at that time. And if it wasn't for the uh, neighborly love that my neighbors showed me, I would have never made it. So it's important to mention this because even in the United States, we have prejudice against uh, each other. Although I lived in the South, I loved it, and I had fantastic neighbors, and they were kind to me. So when 9-11 happened, I was in uh, Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia. doing. I was working there. I had a company registered there called Strategic Edge, and my job was to be a, a, a management consultant. And as such, I was doing projects for various wealthy Saudi businessmen. So I was there in my office working and my wife called me and said, turn the TV on right now. I said, I'm busy. She said, turn the TV on right now. So I knew something major is happening and I turned the TV on and I saw the, the tower, the trade tower falling. And then I saw the second tower falling. In six minutes there, my work for 30 years previous to that was falling with that tower. All the goodwill I built fell down to the ground when that tower fell. So it was not just a shock to me, it was a devastating event. Anyway, I came, I flew into the United States to be with my wife and, and I had two boys here who were ready to go to school, to college. My wife told me about the evening of 9-11. She was called by a friend to go to a prayer circle and pray for the president and the government and all of this. A group of people, they used to call themselves Jesus followers. Started as evangelical, turned into Jesus followers. And that was my the first exposure of my wife to this group. So she took my two boys and they went there. She was hoping that if she leaves, to go to join me in Jeddah, the boys will have some friends here. So she went there and they all sat in a circle and somebody started praying for the president, another for uh, members of Congress, uh, members of the Senate, uh, for John Ashcroft, who was the attorney general. And suddenly someone started praying for Osama bin Laden. My wife uh, was overwhelmed. She started crying. And uh, the boys started crying. And on her way back 
from that place to the house, she called me. She told me she was the only car on the highway that evening, that same evening of 9-11. And she said, Safi, I was in a very unusual meeting, and you won't believe what happened there. Those people were praying for their enemy. I said, they must be Jesus followers. He said, that's what they call themselves. <laughs> I said, that's fine. Look, in the, in the next few months that followed, I watched two groups, two American groups with Christian background emerge. One group was calling for revenge. Those are average Christians. And among them was the president. And another group who was praying for their enemies. And they called themselves Jesus followers. And I considered them myself from that day on one of them. So this is where I am. This is what happened. This is the lesson we missed. The president of the United States at that time could have changed history by showing love to his enemies. Never, ever in history that a leader stood up and, and followed those teachings of Jesus and said, instead of fighting our enemies, let's show how much we love them. President Bush had that opportunity and he missed it. And that opportunity comes once in a lifetime, probably. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I remember I was involved with, a, with a, a church group at one point. We held these retreats for adults and for teenagers. And so I had a group of teenagers I was working with one time and it was the weekend that they had found Osama bin Laden. And then they had, they had done what they had done. And I took that opportunity to school, hopefully those teenagers on the fact that we did not need to rejoice in the death of this man. We did not need to parade around and preen as though we'd accomplished something because we did exactly what we were doing. We're strong. We annihilate our enemies. Right. What's this? I mean, it, that, the That's easiest thing good. in the world is to, is, to, is to rain down hell upon your enemies, right? Anybody can do that. It doesn't take any, any creativity at all. And I'll tell you what, about half those kids looked at me like I was crazy. And I got emails and letters from parents uh, who were unhappy with me. Uh, but the other half got it. You don't have to make excuses for people and hold them up as paragons of virtue to not rejoice in their demise. Loving my enemies doesn't mean I have to say, oh, by the way, and everything you've ever done, I think is great. But Jesus instructs me to look past my own ego. And you, let's circle this back down to something you said at the very beginning, which was get past our own egos, get past our own sense of self, for, you know, worth that I'm somehow better or different than everybody and begin to see people as fundamentally the same, at least in the sense of what they're worth, right? At least in the sense of, of how much they matter to God. So in that case, I, I agree with you 100%. And in the moment, I, I have to admit, I was a 20-something angry young man, and I was, I was right there. You know, I was, it, it's easy to get swept up in, in the crowd. As our, as our good friend, um, Kierkegaard would remind us, the crowd is untruth, right? And so it's easy to get swept up into the mob mentality and say, like, this is what has to be done. But I'm with you. I think many, many opportunities were missed in that time. So hopefully maybe we get a chance to do it again. Nat, actually all this, all this was a challenge to me. Anytime I read something that Jesus said, 
And I thought it's fantastic. I was challenged to go and try to find in the Quran an equivalent. And it wasn't very hard to find that the Quran teach loving your enemy and continue to pursue your enemy until you become good friends. But you see, it wasn't part of the, of the culture in the, in the Middle East. People don't talk about it. One time I was talking about forgiveness and this woman say, isn't that a Christian concept? Why do you keep talking to us about Christian concepts? This is not a Christian concept. It's a God concept. Yes. <laughs> God told us to forgive each other. If he, he said, if you want to establish peace on earth, I sent you over there to see your capability. Are you capable? Are you able to establish peace on earth? And to do this, you need to forgive each other. Practicing this is not practicing Christianity or Islam or Judaism. It's practicing what God instructs us to do. That's simple. Yeah, it is. But, but we have the same problem, don't we? I mean, your culture and my culture, I don't know that they're that different, honestly. There's the same people that I would say, man, you're Jesus followers. And when I quote Jesus, I get told, you know, why are you talking so much about this love and peace stuff? Because that's 90% of what Jesus taught. What are you talking about? Do you want me to dismiss? But they love to cherry pick, don't they? I mean, this is, this is the tool of the fundamentalist, right? Well, <laughs> let me surprise them here. <laughs> Muslims believe that Jesus is coming back. Uh-oh. And we have 1.8 billion Muslims who are going to follow him. Where would that leave the evangelicals? We're going to be so uncomfortable. This is going to be the world's most awkward family dinner. <laughs> Yeah, just wait till the Jews show up and mess it all up. We got all three going to be together. Going. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I, I really believe God gave us families just to just to prepare us for what this is ultimately going to. But yeah, it's and there's there's just I'm sorry, there's a billion things run through my head, um, and I know John John's got the same kind of questions. But um, let me, let me ask you one thing, and I'm going to turn it over to John for a second. But um, so in my opinion, as far as my faith tradition goes the greatest enemy for me is fundamentalism. I see, and I, I'm looking right now, I copied and pasted a post of yours just from the, like towards the, like at the end of Ramadan, I think it was on April 22nd, you, you posted. I won't read it because it's long, but it's, it's excellent. And you're talking about how, how, how can the Muslim world catch up to the 21st century? And as I read, you had five points as you sort of reflect on, on Ramadan. Th- these are the, these five points. I'll just give you the, I'll just, I'll give you just the five points, just or our audience, the five points um, in like bullet format, right? <laughs> but and I, as but as I read them, I'm like, this is for us because I see I see this. So he's you know what he said. First thing, Muslims must embrace scientific inquiry from primary schools to graduate studies. That was the first, and you went on to talk about that. Second thing, critical thinking. Oh my gosh, what a concept! Third, technology to be embraced, right? And not just to be embraced, but to be advanced by people in the Muslim world. Um, embrace diversity was your fourth point. And the fifth point had to do with it being engaged in social and political activism. I'm like, every that, that entire post could easily have, have applied to any number of evangelical Christians. But I, I just wanted to give you a chance to respond. I thought it was brilliant, by the way. That's why I copied and pasted it and it's going into, a, uh, I'll do something with it, but I just thought it was brilliant. One of the gravest sins in my view is when people think they're right mm-hmm. and everybody else is wrong. 
you know? Yes, sir. Amen. And uh, uh, stop allowing room for others to express different point of view. You see, if I'm holding this bottle here and I'm looking at it, I'm seeing at this level. My wife know what this bottle look like from here because she washes it, maybe. I'm just giving an example. So in the same talk, you, I read the same book you read, maybe, but we both take two different things from it. Doesn't mean you're wrong and I'm right, or I'm right, or I'm wrong and you're right. It means we're seeing two different point of view. When human beings start uh, allowing, uh, start listening to others, allowing others to express themselves freely, and they really try to uh, not just teach but also learn then we will be able to establish common ground. And once you establish common ground, we can both build on this common ground and uh, have peace. But one of our main enemies is the fact that we want to demonize the, the other. We don't want to listen to the other. We don't want to consider other ideas. And uh, every if, if we're right, everybody else must be wrong. I believe I, God was extremely loving to me and I'm definitely in tremendous gratitude to him for allowing me to see that the other point of view. I became much richer when I considered the other point of view. I considered that I, he opened my mind to a wealth of knowledge that I would have been, instead of having a tunnel vision, now I have a panoramic vision. I can, Look and see 360 degrees. That's fantastic. It's a blessing. It's really a blessing. So, so basically, I consider my job is not to go to those who have similar ideas to mine as much as it is to go to those who still have a tunnel vision and show them love. For instance, I know someone like this, so and I'm going to see him. First thing I do when I get there is to give him a hug. And you will never believe how much that hug will change the situation. Just one hug will, will, will open the path to a little bit more listening, to a little bit more exchange of ideas. And instead of arguing with him, I'll try to be as uh, accommodating as possible and take it one step at a time. If I can help someone open his, their mind and start seeing around, I will consider this an act of worship. I told, I told uh, my friend Brad, our friend Brad, one day in a conversation, I said, being friends in today's world is an act of worship. He said, what do you mean, Safi? I said, uh, to have you as my friend and for you to accept me as your friend we are obeying God's instruction to us to loving the other. There's nothing, nothing great about loving those who love me. I need to go to the others to, to show love in order to accomplish something. So being friends at this time, in this place, is an act of worship. And helping another person, another human being, open their mind is an act of worship. So this is why I have that Facebook uh, uh, you know, page to try to build bridges to help people love each other, understand each other. At the beginning, 
few years ago, the response wasn't like you see today. Today, I challenge some people to tell me whether the respondent is a Muslim or a Christian. Of course, because they're responding in love. When we are created by a loving God through a loving act of creation, so we became creatures of love, we need to spread love here on earth. It's, it's, a, it's a paradigm of love. Yes, I love it. No, I, I couldn't have said it better. I just kind of keep going back to this idea of, uh, specifically within the Christian world and the fundamentalist Christian world, that we have created a, an image of Muslims, right? And we, and we have created it through misinformation from the media, from TV, from you name it. And so we, we end up with this, it's like, you can go on any, any kind of military show today, right? American military show. And the enemy is always going to be Muslim. It's always, that's, that's just, that's their go-to because the American public accepts that as the ultimate truth of these people, right? So we have, you either have Muslims or terrorists or, or in the news, or we just see nation of Islam, which first of all, the media gets wrong too. And it took, it took a lot of my own reading and a lot of my own education to find out what the nation of Islam is and, and what it stands for. And so the media has lied to most Americans about most of what they believe as well. But how do we, how do we reach those people? The ones that are like this, this is every Muslim is that just like every, you know, I'm sure you've heard every, you know, from, from another angle, every fundamentalist Christian wants the death of every Muslim, right? So how do we break that? John, uh, you're, uh, this is a very good question, in fact. And I was preparing for another interview tomorrow on a program called Scholar's Chair. And this is one of the things I talk about. Look, I believe in a paradigm of peace through justice. And I held several conferences online and brought people from Canada, from United States, from Europe, from the Middle East, uh, to talk about uh, peace through the reconciliation of our holy books. So I love to talk about this, and I love to hear everybody coming and talking about what their holy book say about peace. And finally, they will all realize that three holy books talk about the same, same principles. Let's talk the fundamentalist Christians, the, uh, the, uh, even evangelical Christian and, and as a case, how would I approach them? If I am, if, well, suppose I am a naive Muslim, just one of those 1 billion, 800 million Muslims who are working hard to feed their families and make sure they are making ends meet and having a roof over their head. Uh, yet I'm a Muslim. So, but, uh, I'm guilty by association in their mind. I will ask them one question. Who do you think created me? If they agree that the same God who created them created me, then I will hold them to what Jesus taught in, in, the, in the Gospels. Because they cannot deny what Jesus taught in the Gospels. 
but they assume that I'm dumb and don't, I never read the Bible. And they're wrong about that, you know? Not only that I read uh, the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I consider myself a Jesus follower. I memorize what he says. I know the beatitude and I hold my Christian friend, I hold them to that particular level of, of functioning and I ask them if they want to call themselves Jesus followers to live up to the teachings of the Beatitudes. So I will go, I wouldn't hesitate a minute, go into a fundamentalist Christian church, introduce myself as a Muslim and as a Muslim who follows Jesus and explain to them, they believe that we are all created uh, in the in the image of God. Although I don't believe in that myself because there is nothing like God in this universe. God is not a man. And I and 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 I I'm not smart enough to define what God is. And he never told us what he is. He in the Quran he told us about his characteristics like loving, merciful, just and so on. But his nature is his business. It's none of my business. I don't even understand until yesterday. We didn't know how, how, how our body functions. We're learning that we're still learning this to, to understand how, what, what the nature of God is something beyond me. So anyway, I don't go there, but I know that we are created by him because he said so. You know, he said so. And I don't have anything to contradict that. And I have no reason to contradict it. Because the word is here, it must have a creator. And this creator told me that he is the one who created heavens and earth. Uh, for your information, there is a verse in the Quran that says, he means God, lifted the heavens with columns you don't see. I stopped at that verse for three months, didn't know how to translate it. I kept looking outside the window and told my wife, do you see any columns? She said, yes. She said, no. I said, well, how can I translate this? Because whoever is reading it, he's going to look outside the window and don't see any columns. And I told you at the beginning, I vowed to myself not to translate anything unless it makes sense. And I understand it. So three months. And one day my wife came to my office and I looked like I am, I am carrying the weight of the word on my shoulder. She said, what's wrong? I said, I'm still stuck with this verse and don't know how to translate it. She said, look, it's 11 o'clock at night, go to sleep. And maybe tomorrow God will send you a meaning that you can use. So I went to sleep. The next morning I got up, did my ablution, did my morning prayer, opened my computer. And first thing I see is the headlines. NASA discovered that something called dark matter is holding the universe together. <laughs> and <laughs> uh, I, I read this and I fell to the ground uh, crying loudly. And uh, my wife heard me and came to the room. What's wrong? I pointed to the computer. She read it and she started crying. And I heard an inner voice saying, next time when you need the meaning of something I said, ask me. Don't try <laughs> to find it on your own. 
You see, I mean, I still have, you know, the ego does wonders sometimes. You think that after six years working on the Quran, now I'm a wizard. I can, you know, I can find the meaning of anything on my own. And God taught me a lesson. God yeah. taught me a lesson. You, next time you're stuck and don't know the meaning of something, ask me. So I felt like he's pulling my ear a little bit, just uh, as a father does his son, just to straighten me up, you know? <laughs> so, well, I, yeah, I love that idea because dark matter being this sort of enigmatic. Without it, the galaxies will all, the, uh, will all fall together and uh, destroy each other. But scientists it's, still don't fully understand it. They don't exactly. It's still yeah. very much in the realm of the theoretical, although they all accept its existence. I read this. In, I, I, I read this on the computer, like uh, uh, while I was still translating the Quran. That's many years ago, and they still don't know the nature of that dark matter. They still don't know, but they know it's there. They can see the effects of it. Yes, exactly. And you can, and you, and you have to account for its existence somehow. Yes, yes. Um, or the universe doesn't make sense. But so, I, 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 to me, that seems pretty analogous, doesn't it? Like, if I, if I tried to define God in any way, shape, or form, I usually fail. I can see the effects of God. I can see God's hand in the world, and I'm sure without Him, it would all fall apart and crumble in on itself. But yeah, that's that we are expressions of God. We are, you are an expression of God and you're unique. I mean, you're not an ac accidentally here. You're here by design. He meant for you specifically to be here. And he meant for John specifically to be here. And he meant for me specifically to be. So, and he said, we have honored the children of Adam in the Quran. We have honored, not the Muslims, not the Christian. We have honored the children of Adam. Every human being is honored by God because God gave him consciousness. Now, every human being knows that they are independent human being. They, they're different and separate from everybody else, and they deserve to be respected. They, ha they inherently have the right to be free, to think freely, to express themselves freely. They, they're inherent, they inherently have the right to work to earn a living, to have a family, to raise children. These are rights to each one of us as a human being. Look, I will not find, I will not fight for Islams and Muslims. I will fight to protect the constitution. Because if the constitution is intact, we, whoever we are, can grow because we are allowed to think freely. But the minute we have, we have limitation to this freedom, we will all start uh, withering away. Because I, I don't think I can live as a slave anywhere. I have to tell you, Safi, I knew this was going to be good. I did. I had no idea how good. And I bet you have this experience a lot. Because just because just I can sense this is the kind of person that you are, but that when people have an interaction with you, they usually probably just leave feeling lighter. I am. I feel better having talked to you for an hour than I have in a while. I, I appreciate very, very much the conversation. I wish we could talk for another hour, but but I, I want to be mindful of your time. And we've got another interview scheduled here in a little bit. But I also want to uh, 
just wanted to mention, we have another mutual friend, Mercy Aiken, who told me a while back. That I we love Mercy. Isn't I she love great? Mercy. Oh, we love Mercy a bunch too. And, and I think now that I think about it, it might have actually been her, and maybe not Brad, that I, through, I, I might have yeah. gotten introduced to, to you through her first. Yes. Um, but you know, that's a, that's a tight little community there of you guys. And, um, so I don't know. I just, uh, it, it gives me a lot of hope. I know that every person who listens to this podcast will come away uh, with a better understanding, I think, and also with a hunger to maybe go find, a, you know, learn a little bit more and make some connections. I, I had every intention when I was, I spent some time in a, I live in a small town, but I was living in Houston for a little while working. And, uh, I had every intention of visiting a mosque if for no other reason than I need to visit. You know, I just needed to get outside of my bubble. And sadly, I didn't make it happen. But I think that's something that we, I don't know. I just, I, I just feel like, like with every other community that we're, that we're unfamiliar with, if we will take the time to try and bridge the, you know, bridge those gaps, build those bridges, like you said, maybe start to try and form some relationships that should go a long way towards helping us understand one another, right? Absolutely. The same way other brothers and sisters introduce you, introduce us to each other, I will do the same and introduce you to friends that uh, some live overseas, some live in various parts of the world that uh, maybe you're not familiar with. And I will try to bring them to your attention and maybe, uh, you know, you'll find them interesting also. Absolutely. No, I would love that. I, very, very much so. John and I are committed to you know, whatever little part we can play in all of this, um, our intentions have always been, let's, let's help each other to, to get to know one another better. It's just really, it's really easy to, to dislike people you don't really understand or to dislike two dimensional caricatures that we create of other people. It's very, very difficult when the, when they become actual human beings and you know that they have families and that they have their own hopes and dreams and desires and everything else. You go, oh, okay, wait a minute. You're a lot more like me than I would have liked to admit. I hope I could be anywhere near like you. You seem like, a, like an amazing guy. And, uh, and I think the work you're doing is of paramount importance. So man, what a, what a, what a treat to be able to, uh, have a conversation with you. I hope we can come back and do this again sometime. Thank you. I'd love to, would love to, to further the conversation. Cause I think again, we just scratched the surface. I think there's so, so much more that we could, we could dive into, but that's a good introduction. I think perhaps. I think so. Everybody, this has been Dr. Safikaskis. We will link to all of his uh, information. If you're not following him on the Facebook, by the way, uh, you're missing out. I mean, that, that's just a good first place to start. Um, but we'll link to, you know, your, your, the links for your books, uh, your translations of the Quran, I hope, and the new one that's coming out with, with, uh, with uh, notations about the Tanakh. Anyway, the, if you need to, I don't know, just, just get a good primer on some of this stuff and, and start to branch out a little bit and open up your worldview a bit. Safi is a great place to start. So, and then like you said, well, maybe we can connect with you and get some, some, some other uh, relationships going. But I appreciate your time. I appreciate all the work that you do. Thanks for hanging out. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to This Is Not Church. Be sure to rate and review the podcast on your platform of choice. If you would like to partner with us, visit patreon.com slash thisisnotchurch, where you will receive exclusive content such as early access to episodes, videos of upcoming episodes, and live Q&A sessions. Be sure to check out our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter and Instagram. All the links are in the show notes. We'll be back soon with another episode.